Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Lucky Land Slots. Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Puck and Roll. Puck and Roll. This is the podcast where we talk about the Montreal Canadiens, draft eligible prospects, and everything in the hockey world that's going on. In this episode, I am joined currently by Joshua Rosa and Scott Cowan, though Patrick Lorty is going to be certain to make an appearance later on in the show. And, I mean, there's so much to cover, boys, but maybe let's start off with the on-ice stuff for the Montreal Canadiens. Before the team was shut down for COVID reasons, a whole bunch of, let's say, non-NHL players, like players that were really in the AHL and even the ECHL, if you look at Cam Hillis, for example, but a bunch of those call-ups made their debuts and have even spent extensive amounts of time with the team. Now, my question for you is just, which one of these players has stood out to you the very most? I think Montreal does the same old uh, song and dance every couple of seasons, don't they? Where the season kind of goes down the gutter halfway through and then they completely deplete whatever AHL affiliate they have. They deplete their roster, give a bunch of guys opportunities. And this is what's been happening on repeat over the course of the past few seasons. I'm surprised not many, not many more Canadian fans are aware of it. But this season, again, we're going to be having our usual supply of random dudes who are going to be coming in here and there, guys from the AHL and heck, even some guys from the ECHL in certain cases with guys like Cameron Hillis. So... I think especially with the way COVID's been, it's just sort of perpetuated Montreal's roster issues and it's led to guys like Brandon Baddock getting call-ups. But in my personal opinion, my favorite player who's been called up is Raphael Harvey-Pinard, who's been a personal favorite of us here at the podcast, who was relentless work ethic, solid shot, good drive to the net, and he got his first NHL goal. So I think things have been rough for the Canadians for sure. And the season is obviously very, very, very much over at this point, but it's still nice to see these guys get in here and get a few, get a few shifts. Josh, how about you? 
It'd be easier to talk about who isn't a call up at this point. I mean, the team's just been decimated with <laughs> sure. COVID and everything. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's fair to call this guy a call up. He didn't start on the team because he was injured and he was a fringe player at the start, but I've been liking what I've seen from Sammy Niku for a bit now. He's got six points in 12 games, a defenseman. I think he's just been playing some solid hockey for what this team has been for the past while. You can't expect great one with a team this bad the way that they've been playing. So it sticks out that he's been good to say the least and on a bad team. That's pretty that's a pretty good Are there any names for your YouTube that stand out apart from uh, Niku and RHP? I think before he went into the COVID protocol, personally, Laurent Dauphin was a guy I really enjoyed watching play. I've been following Dauphin ever since Montreal got him in the famous, famous quote-unquote one-for-one trade for Michael McCarron. And McCarron's found his own role in Nashville. He's a AHL call-up captain down in there in Milwaukee. And I think Dauphin's also managed to find his role in Montreal's system against all odds. He's been a regular with the Rockies. He's been a fan favorite down there. He's been a consistent point producer. And I think it was about time he got his NHL opportunity. He put up three points in five games, and he looked like a guy who could bring energy to Montreal's lineup when the, the thing they need the most right now is energy so that's always nice to see yeah like Dauphin is probably the player that's impressed me the most just in terms of comparing it contrasting like actual play versus my expectations mm-hmm. but two guys that I've just liked a whole lot one of them is not a call-up but he has played some games in the, NA, in the AHL this year but that would be Kale Clegg who Montreal claimed off of waivers He's been playing some, he played some massive minutes for a couple of games in a row now, getting over 20 a night. Uh, I think he had a game with like 25 minutes too, right, right before everything got shut down. Mm-hmm. And he's really impressed me just based off of his skill and transition and just like a bit of, of like excitement from a defenseman, right? Which is not something that we've been used to very much here in Montreal, but it's along the same lines for like Sammy Niku and uh, even like a Chris Weidman. And the other guy that, that I've just really loved has been uh, Corey Schooneman, who uh, I just, I've always loved watching in Laval. Like he's been so much fun in Laval for the last year and a half and uh, seeing him come to the NHL and playing just as well as he was in the AHL has been wonderful to see because he, he doesn't just like not look out of place. He is a positive value NHL player so far, which I think is amazing. I find it surprising, especially considering where Schwenemann came from and how his career has exactly. gone up to this point. I would say that in terms of the Canadiens roster, no story will ever, to me personally, beat Alex Belzil. And I think Belzil is one of the weirdest and most bizarre stories for a guy who's ever made the NHL, considering where he came from and everything. But Schwenemann was a guy who played all four years at university. He was an undrafted player, was a journeyman in the USHL for a number of seasons, and now he's here after playing off an AHL contract in 2019-20. So it's pretty impressive, to say the least. And he very clearly earned himself an NHL contract like that. Mm-hmm. That has been clear in the AHL, and it's even even more clear now that he made the NHL. Okay, so shifting away maybe from just the call-ups, let's talk about more so, more of some uh, some of the few Montreal Canadiens that over the last like two weeks or so have actually played NHL games, uh, the ones that are, that were not call-ups but uh, start of the year in the NHL. Like, what were your thoughts, especially on like Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield over the last month or so? 
I think Cole Caulfield's continued to be his usual self this past season, which has been very inconsistent. And he's still young. That's something people have to remember is that Caulfield is still at the end of the day, he's still 20 years old, but the he energy is bringing to the like lineup. Three days ago. So. 20, yes, technically 23 <laughs> days ago. But the energy he's brought to the lineup has still been nice to see. And he's clearly skating a lot faster than he was. And he's showing these little bits of confidence here and there. And I think it's going to be a work in progress with him personally. But the guy who I've just been enjoying watching the most has just been drawing. I know Jonathan Drouin yeah. hasn't been anything special this season, but he's been the Drouin that he's always been. And he seems like he, if if this season does go through and continues to play for a full season, I could see Drouin being on pace for 40 to 50 points, which would be great. That's the pace that he played at before he left the team due to his own personal reasons. And it'd be nice to have for him to get back to that pace and just show that even though he's not a top-line player in the NHL, he can be a, con- a consistent 50-point guy. And maybe it'll help Montreal move his contract down the line. Who knows? I mean, it's not really a contract that needs to be moved because I, I believe it expires after next season too, right? Mm-hmm. And the Habs aren't in any need of shedding salary because they're in selling mode right now. And uh, Josh, uh, your take on on the young on the youngsters that did start the season in Montreal? Yeah, you gotta give these kids the benefit of the doubt and just take everything with a grain of salt with the way that this team and this season has gone because. You could just see how much a team packs a player with the way that Cole Caulfield's career in the NHL has gone so far. He gets dropped into a team that's not perfect, not amazing in the regular season at the end of last year, but he comes in and he's got like four goals in 10 games, I think, in the last 10 games of the season this year. And then the team gets hot in the playoffs. He gets hot with them. It's really easy and great for him to keep the momentum going, feed off the rest of the team and play great. And then the team falls off and he falls off with them. Because with older guys, you've been here before with the uh, with losing and terrible play kind of thing that they can – work through it but this is oftentimes the first time that someone like Caulfield or Suzuki if you look at their juniors numbers have played bad and they know how exactly to deal with it and I think once they get over this kind of hump of how bad they're playing now that a they'll be better for it and b they'll come back even better next year or further down the line whenever Montreal eventually gets better again. Yeah, yeah like I, I think it's pretty clear for everyone to see that Cole Caulfield's been in a pretty rough slump, but at the same time, I still find it really frustrating, especially over the last couple of weeks, still seeing uh, like someone like Alex Berzil, who is a player I respect tremendously, but he was consistently being given more minutes in the lineup than Cole Caulfield, and to spring a player like Cole Caulfield, you, you have to give him time. You have to g- give him power play minutes. And like there, there was a moment when uh, Brendan Badock was put on the power play ahead of Cole Caulfield. Like that's just insane, right? Like well, especially when they're giving absurd? Kale Clegg minutes that he needs to be for to develop. Kale Clegg's a guy who plays well with big minutes. Much exactly. been giving him those big minutes, but it doesn't and, make and sense why been, they wouldn't give the same to they, Caulfield. They've been like like tremendously forgiving of Clegg because he he. he is making mistakes and he's learning from them and he's improving as a result, but they're not doing the same thing with Cole Caulfield every game. Some games he's getting 19 minutes, others he's getting 13, right? Like in this season with a complete AHL lineup, just give him big minutes, just give him time, give him opportunity and like 
give it a go, right? Like, well, I don't if you think... want to make a point of that, I mean, Montreal's had those same issues before with players. If we go think back to other times where Montreal's had to deal with this roster juggling, if you will, one of my favorite seasons in team history was 2015-16, where by season's end, Montreal's roster was a who's who of AHL guys, overseas guys, pretty much anything. And perhaps fans of a certain age who remember, Mike Brown was one time our third line left winger, and oh people were thinking, what the heck are you doing putting this guy in? It's wasting a he roster. He like 11 shift. games with the Habs, didn't he? I might add, one of the players who Montreal was also playing that season and who Brown eventually wound up finding a roster spot over was Daniel Carr. And we got to wonder, maybe where would Daniel Carr be nowadays if Montreal managed to give him that extra ice time way back when? Yeah, Daniel Carr always put up really good results in tiny minutes and never quite yeah, broke through. One of the most dominant players in the AHL over the past few seasons. So For sure. There's a lot to be, that can be said. Is he still in the Vegas system? Uh, sure. He actually signed in uh, Switzerland. Oh, okay, makes sense. So he plays for Lugano now. Cool. Okay, so so we've covered a lot of the players. Let's, let's talk about the goalies. So uh, Jake Allen has had a pretty solid season, I think. Like relatively compared to the workload he's faced. Yeah, compared to the workload and also compared to the defense that he's been playing behind. Yeah. And Samuel Montembeau has had some really solid performances recently that have, uh, I guess, been very different from his first few in uh, a Habs uniform. I've, I've liked Samuel Montembeau more in his past few starts than I did early on in the season, but there's still no getting around the fact that his numbers are terrible and they still don't look very good, even if he's still going through his growing pains. But I think that Montembeau is going to be suffering from the fact that he's being forced into a role that he doesn't know that he's not used to playing and that he really shouldn't be playing. I see Samuel Montembeau as a very, very talented third goalie and a guy who can be a minute muncher in the AHL and get in the occasional start here and there. But I just don't see him as being an NHL backup down the line. And in my own opinion, I think a guy like Kaden Primo is more deserving of getting time behind Jake Allen going forward. But if Montembeau can get his confidence up and maybe get some more solid performances, then who knows? Anything's possible. I thought he played really well against Florida. He had a really mm, good game definitely. despite allowing six goals. He's, he allowed six goals, but he was tremendous through like 45 minutes. Well, the Canadians have been suffering from that play well for the first half of the game and then get blown up in the second half of the game which, issue. Which is honestly pretty good for the tank. If you're cheering for it the is, tank... It is, but it's getting... also just a symptom of playing a guy like Alex Bozillo in your lineup with a regular shift. You're going to get tired out at some point. Most of these guys aren't used to that kind of work ethic or pace. If Bozillo's playing 17 minutes a night, you're not playing well the second half of the yeah, game. Yeah, <laughs> like It's just not going to happen. And you also want to make a point of that also is a guy like Cam Hillis. Can you imagine how, how it must have helped for him to get into the NHL, a guy who was in the ECHL earlier this season? He played like 15 minutes that night too. Yeah, and I think he looked okay for a player like that, but still, this is a lot of these guys are just like being thrust into the limelight unexpectedly, and they're doing all they can with it. Yeah. Josh, what are your thoughts on on the goalies or anything? Yeah, the goalies, it's Jake Allen's done everything you could ask of him um, given the situation that he's been in. He's he's even stolen a game or two early in the season. I remember the 4 nothing game against San Jose really come to mind. Uh, and Motembo, he started off well, as I remember. I watched a preseason game where he played Specifically, he's right around four goals against the game and an 893 percentage. So it's clearly not very good stat wise, but you can't really just look at the stats when you have to fight against what Montreal's defense has not done, which is play well in front of them. It's hard to win games if you have no goal support it's hard to win games if the defense is falling apart in front of you 
and if you're playing games that you really shouldn't be playing because of COVID, because of Carey Price still not being in the lineup after talk about him being ready for Toronto in the first game, and then gets pushed back, and then gets pushed back, and then gets pushed back. And I think Montembeau just went on the COVID list as well, from what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Montreal. Yeah. It's been rough. Well, I was yeah, gonna, no goalies. I was going to pose a question to both of you, actually, leading on from the fact that the Canadian goaltending struggles. And I'm always reminded of a sort of uh, interview that Michel Terrier had back when he was the Canes head coach in 2016. And the question was brought up of whether Zach Fucali would get time in the Canadiens net with Carey Price being down of injury and Mike Condon struggling to play. And Terrier, I remember saying that he said that Zach Fucali is not an NHL goaltender. We're not going to give an NHL goalie that kind of playing time. With that in mind, the only goaltender who's left who's healthy on the Canadiens roster currently is Michael McNiven, who in a lot of ways is cut from the same cloth as Fucali, has a very similar career. And I'm asking the both of you, do you think at some point Michael McNiven makes his NHL debut against all odds? I really want him to. I, I, I've been cheering on Michael McNiven for the longest time. And he came out earlier this season basically saying that the entire organization is basically just not giving him any shots, right? And often when players come out and say that kind of thing, it's like it, 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 you take it with a grain of salt. With McNiven, I, I'm not taking that with any grains of salt because it just correlates to exactly what we've seen. Like he he has been bouncing around the ECHL on loans before 12 the became a team. He's just been everywhere despite putting up really solid numbers basically throughout. And, you know, like even honestly, even just like this, this past couple of weeks, like the Habs needed to give Montembeau a break and McNiven was the only healthy option uh, as an alternative. And they just didn't. Right. Like it, it just, it was kind of mind boggling because like, it's so clear that with this lineup, you're not contending to win a single game, let alone having a winning season. At least give this kid his first NHL start, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. I really want him to, but based on what we've seen so far, I'm a little bit doubtful it's going to happen. You can make the point to get that fact that a guy like McGiven, they don't really want to be like putting that storyline out with the team or giving a guy like that an opportunity would make the team look like they were admitting that they were in a full-on rebuild. But I'm going to directly counter that and say that I think Michael Pizzetta being called up and being given a regular shift points to the fact that this team is in full-on free fall. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've been really enjoying what Pizzetta's brought to the lineup, and it's amazing to see him actually find this role in the NHL against all odds. But you have to give McGiven his chance at some point, I find. <clears throat> and I'm going to be honest. I, I think if Michael Pozzetta is put on waivers, I don't think he's making it through. Because I, 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 I remember reading uh, when he was when he passed through waivers after training camp that St. Louis was heavily considering claiming him and didn't. So after this and showing that he can not only like hold his own the NHL, but be a pretty solid fourth liner, you know, I, I think that some team would just take a swing on him, especially a team that is going into the playoffs because he plays that hard, great role. And Heck, if you, you know, want to look at uh, other examples, you can think of a team like when the Devils claimed Devontae Smith-Pelly and they gave him a top six role just to see what sure. happened, and he played really well. So I could definitely see a team like a baseman dollar like Arizona giving Pizzetta a top six shot. Why not? Seeing what he could do with his speed and his shot. <laughs> I mean, they've had Jay Beagle as their first-line center for most of the season. Yeah, but Arizona's, so. Arizona's an entirely different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. and josh so we've been talking about the goalies and that kind of brings us to uh, montreal being sellers this season what would your idea be of a return for jake allen in a trade because goalies are always weird in trades sometimes a pretty good goalie like mark andre fleury gets traded for literally nothing because uh he's making seven million dollars a year 
or you get Darcy Kemper, who gets like a first and a third round pick. So what do you think Jake Allen can fetch with a pretty cheap contract at the deadline? Yeah, I mean, he's helped out by being a very he's been, he's helped out by being very good so far this year and good in the past. Uh, he's specifically on for two point eight seven five million dollars this year, and that expires next year. So he'll have another year to go. So he's not a pure rental at the deadline, but. I th- it's yeah. I'm not always the best with these predictions. I mean, they're way high or way low, and goalies are the hardest thing to do. But I mean, like a second or third round pick, I think would be at, at the least uh, compens- good compensation for what he's brought and what I think he could bring to another team as a solid backup option in the. Uh, playoffs coming up. Scott, what's your take on on Allen's trade value? I think the thing with a guy like Jake Allen or a player who's especially posted the numbers that he's has is there's a lot of examples in NHL history of similar goalies being dealt to the trade deadline, and you can kind of point to a lot of comparables as to what the returns for them were. Like, for example, you can look at a guy like Keith Kincaid when he was playing with the New Jersey Devils and he got traded to Columbus. He, all, that Columbus all the Devils got for him was a fifth-round pick because Kincaid was a top starter who then went on to post some pretty bad numbers in his, in his sophomore season, so he got returned value or the expected value you would expect from that kind of season. But on the direct opposite, you get a guy like Dwayne Rolison, who at the 2006 trade de- de- deadline was dealt to Edmonton and then led them to a Stanley Cup final appearance. And the return there was a lot more high asking. They gave up a first round pick, which turned out to be Trevor Lewis. So I think it's definitely a bit of a 50-50 with Allen at the moment as to what Montreal can get for him. I mean, it depends on what teams want for him. It depends on if teams actually need a solid backup option like that. I mean, you could look at a team like Colorado, who's a bit shaky with Darcy Kemper as your starter right now and wouldn't mind having somebody to play in a one-two system with. But I definitely think it will remain to be seen, but I think sky's the limit to it as to what Montreal can actually get for Allen. It could be a first round pick, it could be a fifth round pick. We just gotta wait and see. Yeah, my my money my money is on it being a second round pick or maybe a first if it's like a team like Colorado, if it's like a a team where it's going to be like a pick in the thirties, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's kind of tough because again, he's been playing very well, but his numbers aren't the most glowing, right? But I could I could easily see a team like Edmonton giving up a first round pick, or maybe there's a possibility of a package deal where Montreal sends out for instance, Jake Allen and Ben Sherratt together to a team like Edmonton and get a nice haul in return. And Ben Sherratt is quite clearly the Habs' biggest trade chip at the deadline. And like I I, I think a first-round pick is the absolute minimum for his return. I think that's need a Ben Sherratt right now. Yeah, I mean, look, I, again, I've never been the biggest fan of Ben Sherratt. Uh, I think he has his uses if he's used correctly, which I just don't think he has been in Montreal. And I certainly would never give up a first-round pick for him. But it's pretty clear in the media that uh, it's the, the, the Montreal Canadiens' ask is a first-round pick plus a really pretty solid prospect or something to the tune of the first and the second-round pick. I bet the issue that's been really affecting Sherratt mainly in Montreal has just been the fact that Montreal has been giving him minutes that maybe sometimes he can't answer up to or these minutes that he's not used to or just doesn't fit into his role where he's comfortable. I mean, they've been playing Ben Sherratt like he's a top two pairing defenseman, which I just don't think he is. I think he's a solid defensive, hard hitting third pairing defenseman who can maybe slot into the second if he needs to. But I think we'll see just how good he can be once he gets traded and we can see him play in an opportunity where teams can make up for his mistakes and he doesn't have to be the big guy on defense and he can just kind of take a step back and let guys make plays for him. 
at the same time, I think that's a team that should acquire Ben Sherratt. Totally. But I feel like the team that will acquire Ben Sherratt is going to use him as a big, mean, burly top two defenseman that they are convinced that he is because he played the most minutes on a team that made the Stanley Cup final against all odds. So, of course, it's going to be used in that very same role. Yeah, but it was, in a, it was in a system that was not meant to score goals. It wasn't a goal-scoring system. Nope. So you can basically take it as swings and roundabouts. I just personally don't think that Ben Sherratt is the next Colton Pareko or the current Colton Pareko. But if another team thinks that, then, hey, more power to you. Josh, what's your take on on Ben Sherratt? Uh, yeah, uh, to expand on the ice time, if you look at the stats for Ben Sherratt's average ice time per the season, so he started off in Winnipeg, and his last year was the highest average, eighteen minutes, and then as soon as he got to Montreal, it jumped up to twenty three minutes a game. And that's a pretty sizable jump, and really shows what. Yeah, has gone wrong with how they've used him. He's been yeah, serviceable, and I think exactly to bolster a good blue line to become even better, he's perfect at. If a team like Edmonton wanted to take him on, I don't think that's the greatest fit for him because, like, what's he going to bolster on that blue line he's got? play with Duncan Keith at the end there it yeah if there's a team that really wants like David Savard with uh, Tampa Bay last year how he came in third line with Sergachev and really kind of anchored down everything there that could be Ben Sherratt this year at the trade deadline I don't remember what it, it was a pretty big uh, haul they got for the Savard, Savard trade? last year I believe it was a first and a third that they gave up for, for David. Cause it was also, cause like it was first to Detroit, he was traded first to Detroit and then Detroit retained some salary. So I think like Detroit yeah. got like a, a third round pick and then Columbus got the first, uh, but Montreal could easily do the retention themselves. So, you know, that's a pretty big haul right there. And Ben Sherrod, in terms of his trade value compared to, to David Safard last season, might be more right maybe i think so also yeah. the, the, the market's different like this year ben Sherratt is really the only big minute defenseman that is really on the trade list apart from jacob chikrin who's gonna go for like a, an eichel like haul yeah not, chikrin, not... chikrin will be a blockbuster i don't think chikrin's gonna be no low-key kind of no, no. Chik, Chik, chikrin's going like because like arizona has they, they do not have to rush anything Whereas the Habs, they have them like three years left, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they can wait a full year until they get like a massive offer. Whereas the Habs, like sure, there's going to be co- competition for Ben Sherratt. Like I already heard the names of Florida, Edmonton, and I believe St. Louis is also in the mix there and being interested for Ben Sherratt. But That's the wall I remember when the Canadians were a contender, they were actually seen as runners up to go get Chikrin before yep. the season started and then things kind of fell apart. Yeah. Much has changed in the last couple of months in uh, the last... But I'm still going to say that in terms of comparing team situations, the Arizona Coyotes are multiple steps away from the Canadians. They're in completely opposite realms of the NHL, even though the Habs are still one of the worst teams. Arizona is just an entirely different story. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, Joshua Rosa, do you want to hit us off with uh, on this day in Habs history? Yeah, let's do it. On this day, January 5th, the year of our Lord, 1988, one of the newest members of the 
Montreal Canadiens was born, right? In Drummondville, Quebec. That is Matthew Perrault. Perrault has spent time with the Washington Capitals, Anaheim Ducks, and Winnipeg Jets before arriving home in Montreal. On October 23rd of this year, Perrault had possibly the best game a Canadian has had this year, not named Jake Allen, as he scored a hat trick against Detroit for Montreal's first win of the season. It was the first hat trick from a Canadian player born in Quebec at home since Vincent Dampus in 1998. On January 6, 931, in Montreal, Quebec, Richard Winston Dickey Moore was born. Frequent line mate of Henri and Maurice Richard. His most impressive feat came in the 1955-56 season. Halfway through the season, Moore broke his wrist on a hit by a defenseman. The Richards per- persuaded Moore to return to play with a cast on his arm. It's a good idea they persuaded him because Moore would win his first Art Ross trophy that year with 36 goals and 48 assists. Now we're jumping all the way to 1994 in Stony Plain, Alberta, where current Hab Brett Kulak was born. He was drafted by the Calgary Flames in 2012 before being traded to Habs for Matt Taormina and Renette Valiev, where he remains to this day. Now back to Quebec in the town of, I'm going to apologize pronouncing this, Jean Cuillère, Saguenay. Quebec, Jean Caillard, Jean Caillard. <laughs> where in 1999, one of our favorite players on the show was born. You all know his name, especially since he scored his first NHL goal a few games ago, Raphael Harvey Pinard. RHP. Harvey Pinard, yeah, was finally drafted the Canadians in the seventh round in 2019, where he slowly worked away his way up the depth chart and into our hearts to score his first NHL against Tampa Bay this year. And finally, in the year 2000 in Moscow, Russia, the Tsar Alexander Stanislavovich Romanov was born. Selected 38th overall in 2018 by the Habs, Romanov is currently one of the only bright spots on the team so far this year. His middle name is Stanislavovich, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah Not only does name. he share a last name with the dynasty of czars, but his middle name is Stanislavovich. That is, wow. That's about as intimidating as it could possibly get. Yeah, I guess the uh, moral of the story is if you want your kid to play for the Canadians, give birth on January 6th. It's a pretty good day. Clearly. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Thank you for reminding us all, all, all Canadians fans of Matt Taramina. There's your, uh, there's your uh, listening assignment for today or your research assignment for today, folks. <laughs> yeah, honestly, his name and Renat Valiev's are two I only remember because they were part of the Brett Kulak trade. Like, there if it go. were not for that, I would not remember them at all. All right, so uh, for the Prospect Heroes, uh, we are going to talk about any and all prospects. The vast majority of them are going to be uh, – players that are draft eligible for this year and i believe scott cowan wanted to start off, start us off with a couple of chl uh, draft eligibles that are going to go pretty high up in the first round of, the, of this year's nhl draft 
Oh, you just spelled it out, Sebastian. The big debate for the upcoming NHL draft is Shane Wright or Matthew Savoie, at least for the majority of people. I don't think we're really going to be seeing any surprise third-ranked player taking first overall or anything like that. I think it really does boil down, in my opinion, to Wright and Savoie. And Shane Wright's been one of those players who, before going into this draft, was seen as one of those guys who could be the next big first overall pick, like those exceptional status players that we saw come through, like guys like Connor McDavid or if you want to talk about a guy like Austin Matthews. But now the script has been flipped a little bit and we're seeing more people think that maybe Matthew Savoie could be the first overall pick instead of Shane Wright. And it's really a toss at this point. Now, in my own personal opinion, the guy that I would be going with is Savoie. I think Matthew Savoie has had a much more impressive uh, season in junior thus far. And I think Shane Wright is just going for some growing pains that's expected of a guy his age and a guy who needs a bit more seasoning before he can make that next step to the NHL. I mean, we saw what happened to a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois and Dubois turned out just fine when he got to the NHL after a couple more years of seasoning in junior. So I think the debate will continue on obviously up until the start of the draft but for me I think Savoie is finally leaving the helm because he's just been an unbelievably electrifying player and I look forward to watching both of them going on more down the line. It's it's really interesting at the top end of the draft for me because Shane Wright is still number one on basically every single draft board uh, but the number of like the names that I've seen number two include obviously Matthew Savoie, Brad Lambert, uh, Simon Nemitz, um, Joachim Kamel, um, I've even, I've even seen uh, David Yerichek at number two on some boards, and it really is a toss-up uh, like after Shane Wright in terms of who people want to see up there. At the same time, I, I don't think that Shane Wright is a lock at number one. Uh, I, do, I do think that um, there is a decent amount of distance between Shane Wright and Matthew Savoie. Matthew Savoie is a... He, he's been putting up a lot of points in the WHL, but it has to be noted he's, he's on by far the best team in the entire CHL with the Winnipeg Ice. And his, uh, the vast majority of his, of his points are coming from the power play. His even strength points, he's at, I believe, like 23 points in 26 games, uh, which is less than his teammate, who's a draft minus one in uh, Zach Benson, who I think has actually been even more impressive than both Geeky and Matthew Savoie. Um, but it's, it's really interesting because I, I personally, like my top tier at the moment, it consists of three players, Shane Wright, at number one, Brad Lambert at number two, and Matthew Savoie at number three. Simon Nemitz is a really close number four. I might even just switch him right into the top tier. Uh, he's been very, very impressive to me. He's putting up tremendous production against, uh, like professional competition in Slovakia. And he looked great in a couple games at the world juniors. And Brad Lambert is a really interesting one because a lot of people have him right around number 10 because his point production has been non-existent this season. Like he, like he's literally put up like five points in 30 games. He's not been putting much up much at all. Uh, But just watching him, the way he skates, the way he plays in transition. I love his ceiling just based off of he's, he's a player defined by speed and skill, which is the modern game. And I, I, I've really grown to appreciate him and at the World Juniors, he looked really good, and he outshone Joaquin Kamel, who is his teammate, also in Finland, uh, who has been putting up a ridiculous amount of goals. A lot of them are kind of like lob shots in the blue line that find a way in, but mm. 
still a very impressive tally. And the top end of the draft is very interesting this year. I think it points to the fact of how important playing in a men's league can be for development for prospects, for guys like Lambert, even though his numbers aren't that great, just being able to play alongside these guys and face more professional competition is always helpful. For sure. And I think, in my opinion, the guy that points the best to that is uh, Jesper Wallstedt, who we got a really, really good look at during the brief moments in the World Juniors. This guy he seems set for an unbelievable future with the way he's been did, playing. Did any of you watch the game between Sweden and uh, and Slovakia? Yes, I did. That was my favorite game of the tournament by far. Mm. I love it. Like you Slovakia know, uh, dominated that game. Like they, you look they were to passed over Wallstead as well. Edmonton and even Detroit who chose Koso. Edmonton, no, like, like Detroit trading up for a goalie, like that was dumb. But at least <laughs> yeah. they 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 draft really well. Edmonton just got rid of Edmonton. <laughs> Edmonton not drafting the goalie, like the franchise goalie. When what you've needed that, for the yeah. past like two decades has been a goalie. It's Ken Holland. I mean, I guess I guess it is what it is. But like, oof, I feel for Edmonton fans for that one because that one hurts. At the same time, they get to see McDavid and Drysaddle on a nightly basis, but they're still not a great team as a whole, which kind of just sucks. We saw the comments that Miku Koskinen made today about being flown under the bus. So yeah, like I, I did see like there there's an alternate translation that was a little bit less like indicting, but still like he's he lost his last six games, but. Edmonton only, only scored seven goals in those games. So, like, you can't really blame him all that much. But, yeah. And, guys, so so when it goes to, like, other players in the draft, are there any names that you find really interesting that, like, you want to know more about that I may have watched? So there were a couple of prospects that I actually wanted to ask you about, Sebastian. And uh, the two main ones were Ty Nelson and Logan Cooley, who are predicted to be kind of top ten picks, and they seem like really interesting players. So why don't you give me your thoughts on that? Yeah, so so Logan Cooley is a he he's going to go in the top five. Like I, I'd be shocked if he didn't go in the top five. Um, he is this responsible centerman who is very effective in transition, despite not being perhaps the most refined or electrifying skater. He's not as quick as a Matthew Savoy, but he can pick up decent speed when he gets a couple strides in. Um, he he plays a lot like Nick Suzuki. Uh, I would say his habits are a lot more refined now than Nick Suzuki's were in his draft year. So think Nick Suzuki archetype of player of he's a very good 200 foot player. Uh, His skating, if he works on it a bit more, uh, again, it's better than Nick Suzuki's was. uh, But if he works on a bit bit more, I think his ceiling will definitely be higher. He has a pretty solid shot. He's a very good playmaker. He He manipulates space very well. Um, and he's one of those very, very like uh, low floor players. Like he's going to be a at the very least third line center in the NHL. Like you, like that's the safest bet that you can make. He's going to play in the NHL for a long time. The question is, like he's almost certainly going to be a second line center. But is there the ceiling there for a first line center? Because I don't know. I haven't quite seen that level from him just yet. I do need to watch him a little bit more. Uh, I've watched him less than other players, but he's a very interesting one, and he's currently at, at number five on my list. I, I like him a lot. Again, I love Nick Suzuki, and uh, Cooley plays like a Nick Suzuki, but with a higher ceiling probably. And Ty Nelson, oh, he's one of my favorites. Um, he's really not ranked in the top 10 by anyone, uh, not even me. I have him at 11 currently, um, but he, I think, I think the average draft ranking is right around 20 for him. He's going to be like right middle of the pack first round pick. Uh, like if, if the current trend is, is how it also ends uh, by draft day. 
Um, he is one of my favorites because he plays defense how I want a modern defenseman to play defense. So he's he's pretty small. He's listed as five ten, but he's really five eight. Like he's he's pretty he's pretty small, but he's as stocky as anything. He's built like uh, Frankie Bouillon. Like he's two hundred pounds and five foot eight. He's massive, right? And um, his his play, especially in like defensive transition, is incredible. Uh, if you want to get a zone entry and get like pass him on his own blue line, it's not happening. He's not letting you in. It's just not, it just doesn't happen. He, he will play, he engage you physically. He uses his stick very intelligently to block lanes. Um, and again, he's, he's a pretty solid skater. He's not, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that his skating is like high end. I think he might be a slightly above average NHL skater. Um, think like, yeah, like he's, he's a decent skater, but not something that's elite by any means. Uh, but he's certainly good enough to get around well. And but it is something where when you have a play, a defenseman who is small in size, you kind of want them to have really good skating to kind of compensate for that. That's one thing where a couple question marks there, but he is just so good defensively in his own zone. He is incredibly reliable. He's playing on a very good North Bay team and he is uh, their first pairing defenseman and he's on their first power play unit and on their first penalty kill unit because he is just very good on the power play. He quarterbacks it and he does a pretty solid job at it. I, I don't know if I'd see him as like a first power play unit uh, guy in the NHL, but he's really good at it in the OHL. And he's especially impressive uh, at getting zone entries on the power play, which is something that like the Montreal Canadiens, for example, have really struggled with for years now is getting zone entries on the power play. And Ty Nelson does that very well. I have a few more questions of him being like a, a puck carrier for zone entries at even strength. I think he's a much more better use of like passing it up the ice because his passing is very high end, but yeah, he's one of my favorites. Uh, he's currently my fourth ranked defenseman but I could easily see him jumping up to second. I think uh, Simon Nemetz is the only one that's out of his reach. I could see him passing David Gierczyk and uh, Seamus Casey on my board. I yeah. like him a lot. No matter what his issues are as a defenseman, I think it's easy to say he'd be a much better pick than the Hubs' last defenseman they took. Not even close. He's a better player, and uh, I think the chances of him being a better human being are pretty good. So Pretty good, yeah. Indeed, yeah. <sighs> yeah. And Josh, any, any uh, player requests here? Yeah, so... We talked about the good. Now let's talk about a little bit different. So uh, we all know Bob McKenzie and his big lists of drafts. Just looking at that, you have one guy that Bob McKenzie's really high on that you are considerably lower on, and that's Ivan Miroshenenko. I'm sorry okay. if I mispronounced <laughs> that again, but he's quite a bit lower than what Bob McKenzie has on your on on your list compared to yeah so um I I, I would love to say that the reason that he's so high on Marashnashenko is because he's had a bit too much of his brand new margarita but that is not the case here it's that um the view on Marashnashenko has universally changed a lot uh since this list came out like like I think this list, or at least scouts' opinions of him, has really taken a nosedive this season because everyone, like he, across the board, he was a top three or top five prospect as of May because he had a really, really great U17s tournament or U18s tournament. U18s, yeah. At the Finca, he was really, really excellent. Him and, De- and Danila Yurov. 
And um, he has very, very interesting tools. He has a great shot. He's massive. Like he's six foot three, six foot four. He's huge. Uh, he's built like a tank. Um, and he's a, he's, a, he's an impressive skater for his size, right? Like the tools are there where like, like, like scouts love that archetype, right? Like good skating, good shot, big. Like that's, doesn't matter the position for scouts, but that is the guy, right? But uh, despite putting up a decent amount of points this season, like he's playing in the VHL, which is the Russian equivalent of the AHL. So he's playing against pro competition and he's mainly been in the top six. But and he's putting up like just under like half a point a game, which is really solid production. But something that basically everyone has seen, like I, I, I don't really see any like new lists coming out with him any higher than like tenth, because he is really struggling to get involved. Like he has all these tools, and it's about putting them together, and actually being involved in play. He's floating around a whole lot. Um, he's, he's very solid in certain scenarios. Like he's a, he's an excellent power play bumper. Like he, he plays that role at an NHL level easily. Like he's really good at, 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 at like using space and moving around and using his good shot, but at even strength, he just, he's floating a lot. He isn't all, all that engaged and just like, I guess the difference between his actual impact versus the tools that he has has been so great where like you really question his hockey his hockey IQ, right? It's it's not it's less of an issue with work rate. It's more about m- like being all that engaged mentally as well, right? And 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 knowing what to do. His anticipation hasn't been there. All these things haven't been there. So I have him at twenty two. I know Elite Prospects has him at like thirty. Um, I I have there purely based off of like the fact that his tools are so good, right? Like. Like, even if you make him, like, a Mike Hoffman, uh, Mike Hoffman, not because they're similar players anyway, but as in, like, power play specialist and, like, that having value, if you can make him, like, a fine 5-on-5 player but have him as that bumper on the power play and be great at it, I think, like, middle of the first round, end of the first round is totally fine for that, right? Because, again, he has great tools. I think his ceiling, if he... If, if he figures things out, again, he has one of the highest ceilings in the entire draft, but it's more whenever I watch him, I just, he's making all the wrong reads. He's just, he just hasn't impressed me, right? And that's why I have him down at 22. Jeff's yeah, definitely going to have a lot of hit in this prospect side that I find. Some guys are going to be less for certain than others, and that just goes to show the kind of shot in the dark methods that make up what the NHL draft is. Yeah, like... For instance, one, one guy that I'm a lot higher on than basically anyone else is in the same tier as Marasha Shanko on my list, but is at the very top of the tier. And that's someone who's currently at 18th on my list. And like he's he's probably going to fall from there, but I have him there right now because it's just what I've seen. And apparently very few other people have seen it. Uh, there, 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 there are a couple couple Twitter scouts that, that, have, that, that, that have liked him a lot as well, but that's uh, Victor Nuchev who is not a name basically anyone's familiar with because I believe if you look on elite prospects to see like who ranks him, I believe like, I'm not sure. I think it's like FC hockey or just one scouting network has him at right like 54th. And that is it. Like he is not on anyone's board. This is a winger. I believe, I believe he's six two. And I, I question that a little bit. He looks a lot more like six feet or five eleven, but eh, who knows? 
Um, but this is a player who, who I've just really fallen in love with. He plays in the MHL, which is the Russian Junior League, and he plays on um, on Yekaterinburg, and he is a minute muncher for that team. He's been playing over 20 minutes basically every night for the last couple weeks or months. And uh, this is a league where a, a guy like Danila Yurov, who is the top-ranked Russian player in this draft class, he's played six games in that league. He's played mostly in, uh, in the KHL, though he hasn't really played. He's just been on that roster. Um, and he has not hit 20 minutes once. He's been at around 19 every single game. And Nuchev is getting minutes every game, and he is dynamic as anything. He is an extremely quick and elusive winger. Uh, he loves transporting the puck. He uh, takes these great routes through through the neutral zone of just like weaving between players and always getting the zone entry. And he has this gravitational effect in, in the offensive zone of drawing defenders towards him, and then his teammate will will like go into the empty space that he kind of vacated. And then he just sends a perfect little pass right into the middle of that empty space. And his teammate is one-on-one with the goalie, right? Like he's just really, really dynamic. And I've, I've loved every second of watching him. Um, he's also one of the most intense four checkers. I've seen this entire draft class probably between him and uh, Vin- Vincent Rohrer uh, of the Ottawa 67s, who is a great four checker, but uh, gotta say like Nuchev, his four checking is like consistently aggressive. His work rate is always there uh, in the offensive zone. It fades more in the defensive zone. Like there, I have some real questions of his defensive zone play. He's not terrible. Had a lot of Russian players sort of have those issues with for the sure. defensive side of things. That's just how the KHL is as a league in a lot of ways. But for sure, for sure. And at the same time, he's not bad defensively. It's not mm-hmm. like his reads are bad. It's just he's always his feet are constantly moving when he's in the neutral zone the offensive zone if he has the puck or he doesn't if his team has the puck or it doesn't doesn't matter his feet are always moving in the defensive zone when the other team has the puck his feet just stop moving and i feel like it's a relatively easy fix because he is so engaged everywhere else where you can just encourage him to just get his feet moving right like just like you have the intelligence you know where to be but you have to like just put a little bit more effort in the defensive zone even like substitute a little bit like, like take some effort away on your forechecking because like if it is a little bit less there that's fine so plenty but like just put a little bit in on the defensive zone but this is a player i like so much because his skill set like also his one-timer is ridiculous like he has a he's, he's an insane one-timer on the power play it's, it's amazing um and i just i i love the fact that his skill set to me personally screams like second line winger uh, but he has the fallback game of being a bottom six player because he is that intense four checker and he does have that intelligence and all this. And at, towards like the second half of the first round, having a, like going for a player that has upside, but also has a fallback game of being a really solid contributor, no matter like if he booms or busts, that's really important to me. And it's also why he's one of the players that I, that I would personally bet on on draft day, despite no one else having him even close to the first round. Well, I think what you're saying there is about, honestly, with a guy like Nuchev, who's kind of a 
wild card for a lot of people in a virtual unknown points to the fact that the KHL in Russia as a place to develop hockey players still isn't separated fully from its roots with the NHL, which was in the 90s where guys would be taken in the 12th round because NHL teams weren't even sure if they would even be able to come to North America without being arrested or deported or something like that. For and sure. as much as we think that we're past that, and we are technically, when it comes to the way these guys are scouted, we're still in, a, in, a, in an era where there's a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of wild cards. I mean, one of my favorite prospects to come out of this past season who looks to be a really bright spot is Dmitry Reshevsky, who is a former fifth-round pick of the Winnipeg Jets in this past NHL draft, who has gotten the ultimate pleasure of playing alongside Vidim Shipashov, who, in my opinion, is currently the best player not playing in the NHL outside of North America right now. And he's the guy who was very briefly in the NHL with the Vegas Golden Knights. But I feel like just giving up the thing about the KHL is great as a development league is that they probably have some of the best talent that the outside of the North America hockey has to offer. So when you draft a prospect and you put them in a league like that, it's just guaranteed that there's a good chance that, that they can develop and become a much better player down the line. The frustrating thing about Russian hockey and player development is that you have a player like Danilo Yurov, who is going to go in the top 10 this year. He's a very good winger. I have him at number seven, but I've seen lists with him at number three. Um, and he has played most of the season in the KHL. His average ice time is around three minutes a night. Like he, he, there are more games that he plays where he plays zero minutes than where he plays any shift. Like it, it, is, it is rough, right? Like you go and tune into a game of his and you don't know if he's going to get on the ice, right? Because again, it's, it's professional and uh, there is a big bias against youth in the KHL. I'm not saying that, 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 that Yurov is going to make his KHL team a whole lot better if he steps on the ice, but the number of opportunities that he's been given has been very limited or at least like, like the frustrating thing is that he's in an organization that doesn't have like a, a farm team. So they don't have a VHL team. So they, they can't really put him there. It's either minors, like, like it's it, it, like junior hockey or KHL. Uh, but yeah. And like Russian junior hockey, the MHL is kind of a crapshoot of a league. Like, like there is no defensive system in that league. Like there's nothing, which is why when I'm watching Nuchev, I'm like, I love this player, but every time I'm like, what am I missing here? Because like, I love him. He looks amazing to me and no one is high on him. Is it because the league is just what it is of there's no defense, basically. Like, like there's no system. It's just, it's, it's cowboy hockey, basically. And at the same time, I compare what I see from him to what I see from guys like Daniel Yurov, Ilya Kvochko, or even Gleb Trikazov in the same league that I like all of them, they're all my first round. Um, and I just look at new chat. I'm like, you know what? No, I, 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 I'm going to stick with what I see here because he's doing it against good KHL teams, uh, KHL, MHL teams in games where his team is losing. And he looks just as good as when he's playing a game where his team wins eight one, because there's a huge difference in talent in, in terms of MHL teams. It's not, it's not really like junior leagues in Canada where even like the worst team in the league can beat the best team. There is like a pretty big gap, but yeah, I'm I'm just I'm gonna stick with him uh, until I see something that is like a red flag. But I just I've looked hard because I've tried to find red flags in this player, and I've just found nothing. And It'll yeah, be interesting to watch for sure. And and Josh, you you've been watching some OHL hockey this season. Are there any guys that uh, either like stood out or that you find interesting and want to talk about? Yeah, I've, as I've been dipping my toes into the scouting side of hockey. I've been really following the two local teams around me is all storm and the Kitchener Rangers. And the one that 
I've the one player that I've been I've picked out and other scouts and people have seen is uh, Danny Zilkin of the Guelph Storm. He's going to be scouted to be around late first round, early second round, and that's really where he should be. He's got 24 points in 27 games, uh, which is good. Not a, a high first level talent, but he's playing with Pastajov, who's been tearing up the league this year. He's one of the best players in the whole league so far and get points and scoring goals. But what I've liked from Zilkin's game is outside of Pastajov's influence. He's very active with the puck. He likes to bring the puck up the ice on the breakout right in five on five. He also is just very around the puck all over in the offensive zone. He's there in the corners battling for pucks or getting the loose puck out there. He's in front of the net. He's all over it. He's always kind of finds himself in the right place at the right time. It really just indicates great hockey IQ and just great a great mind for hockey when i watch him i kind of think a little bit about of a ceiling being like a almost tyler to type guy he's not gonna completely blow you away with any one part of his skill set but he's so smart he could get himself into the right places and can he could shoot well enough to get goals he's probably gonna be about a middle six guy uh, six would be the ceiling, but I think as a Tyler Toffoli type guy, I think he can. That's kind of what we're looking at. And for if he could fall to the early second round, then Montreal could pick him up. I'd be super happy to see them draft him as a second round pick in Kitchener. I've been loving Arbor Jackai, he's just had. I don't know if I've ever seen a season like this where he gets suspended for about five games twice so far, but he's also playing at a point-per-game pace as a defenseman. I mean, he's an overager, so he's going to be – he's expected to be very good in the league, and he's totally just been wrecking the league really physically. He's very physical, almost Shea Weber-esque in his play, but he has to learn how to – figure out how to not take those penalties, get those suspensions, because it seems like all the leagues everywhere have been following the NHL's standards of doubling down against a lot of that work, a lot of the hooking and the slashing and the cross-checking that goes on behind plays, and that's kind of neutered a bit of his what could have been his power if they still allowed that sort of extracurricular stuff. But I think he's got worth. He's he likes playing with Buck on his stick. He always gives his partner a good out and bringing the puck up the ice. And I think he's just a solid defenseman, especially where he is right now in Kitchener. If I could talk about someone that I have not been impressed with in wealth, I don't really know uh, how well known this guy is or what his deal really is but when I first started looking at Guelph saw that they had the third overall pick in this current year's draft and his name's Cam Allen a defenseman and that may be interesting because I third overall pick he must be good but I haven't really seen much 
he's slated as an offensive defenseman, but I haven't liked what he's brought to the table so far. He's very passive in the defensive zone. At pretty much any time the puck or a player gets near him, they're getting by him pretty easily. And he hasn't really put up any offensive numbers or shown me anything in the offensive zone that makes me think, hey, this is this guy's a elite talent, especially going over to Kitchener when the I think sixteenth overall pick of this year's draft, Carson Redkoff. Ray Cops, if I'm pronouncing that right. I think I mentioned him before. He's having a great season so far as a draft minus one player that he's playing with Kitchener. And he's got 12 points in 25 games, seven goals, which is pretty good for how he is. He's very physical, very good, fun player to watch. And I, I've got my eye on him coming up. But Cam Allen is really been I guess disappointed me so far this season yeah like I've I went to a bunch of Ottawa 67s games so far this year and I was expecting their team to be really bad because like they 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 lost their entire star power and they didn't have any high draft picks to compensate for that but they've been good like they've straight up good um and and they have a couple draft eligibles uh like uh, Vinny Rohrer is one like uh, that I mentioned earlier as being a very intense four checker he's he was also on team Austria at the world junior championship playing on the first line with Marco Casper um and he's been interesting I maybe like a third round ish pick right around there um like he's putting up some decent numbers he shows some nice moves he kind of screams like bottom six player to me, right? He just, he's solid in the defensive zone. He always puts his body on the line. Just a really solid player. Another guy, Brady Stonehouse, has a great name. And his, uh, his uh, entire like persona on the ice is literally the same persona as Brady Kachuk. Like think of Brady Kachuk, not, not, not the player, but like the persona. Down to like the mouth garbage, half out, out the mouth. Like literally just Brady Kachuk's persona, this guy. Uh, but he he's playing mainly in the bottom six for Ottawa. I could see him going like at the sixth or seventh round because like he's showing some decent skill sometimes, some just grit, and he's he's very fun to watch. He's very entertaining. Um, I don't think I'd draft him, but he's he's fun and I like him a lot. But I think the last two names I want to well, yeah, last two names I want to cover in in this one uh, would be uh, two players that play for the US NTDP. And I haven't watched, I haven't been able to watch too much of them just yet. I think I've currently watched two and a half games of them. So it's, it's pretty limited, my, my sample. But the, the two guys that have really stood out to me a lot more, at least compared to like their average rankings, have been Lane Hudson and Tyler Duke. I have Tyler Duke currently ranked at 19, right behind Nuchev. And I have Lane Hudson at 27. Uh, they're all in the same tier, though. Uh, they're both left defensemen. They're both undersized. Uh, Tyler Duke is pretty solidly built. Uh, he's the brother of Dylan Duke, who I really wanted the Habs to draft last season, and uh, who the Habs then the pick that was selected and that picked uh, 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 Dylan Duke, uh, the Habs had, and then they traded to Tampa Bay, and then Tampa Bay selected Dylan Duke in the fifth round. And you always know if you're trading a late draft pick to Tampa Bay, just don't do it. Just just pick a guy. Don't don't trade a late pick to Tampa Bay. They're going to pick him like the next Braden point. Not not that Dylan Duke has that kind of upside, but Dylan Duke was the best net front player in the entire draft class, and he fell to the fifth round, and that was just insane. But anyways, his brother Tyler Duke, uh, very different player. He's a defenseman, 
and is a way better skater than Dylan Duke is. He's a, He's very dynamic and he's pretty solidly built. He plays very well defensively. I like his offensive upside. He's very fun in transition as a puck carrier. Um, he's again with, with the puck in the offensive zone too. He loves like, like, like pinching in the offensive zone, skating around the net, playmaking. He's good at it. Lane Hudson is Dylan Duke on steroids minus the defense. So uh, he pinches up in the offensive zone every single time he can. Like, like there is, not a single conservative like hockey bone in that man's body, like nothing. He, 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 he takes the risk every single time. It hurts him often. It pays off a lot more. Um, I, I, I don't know if a lot of things he pulls off, he could do at a higher level <laughs> because I think the skill is limited in some, in some ways, like his puck handling. He always like goes for the, the shoulder deke. Like it's always like, like a little shoulder deke and he gets around and, but he barely squeaks around the defender every single time. It works every time. But like it barely works every time. Well, that's, that's, it's not going to work in the pros, especially exactly. It's with not the little razzle dazzle one, the big defenseman. And and next th- thing you know, this man weighs less than 150 pounds. He is very small. Yeah. Uh, and his defense is non-existent. Like he is not good in the defensive zone at all. Like he does not have the reads. He does not have the stick work. He does not have obviously the physicality. At the same time, I I can't not like him. Like he he's one of these players where like he's probably going to bust. He's probably he's probably gonna bust. If he hits though, this is like a Quinn Hughes light, and that would be so much fun. And he he just he takes the risks, and you know I I just I, I've liked him a lot despite his very obvious and clear flaws. But yeah, it's 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 a very interesting draft class because there are a lot of those players like Lane Hudson where like they have a very clear skill set, and like if if they can be good enough at that thing they can be really solid NHL players. If they don't get quite good enough at that one thing, they're not making the NHL at all. Like, it's just not happening. Flashy yeah. players are always going to be a shot in the dark like that. And really sure. quickly, I just wanted to throw the board to two guys who I've been a pretty, or one guy I've been a particular big fan of, that's Marco Casper. I think Marco Casper has been one of my more intriguing prospects I've followed, of course, of guys this past year. I've been more focused on the actual NHL and sort of what's going on with COVID and things like that. But I just like Marco Casper because he's played really well in a men's league. Again, he's playing that thing in development, being really good, playing with a bunch of veteran players. Rogel BK is one of the Sweet HL's more fun teams to watch. They have guys like Adam Tambellini, who's had an NHL experience, pretty Ferguson, Tyler Kelleheller is another really good player. So he's an electrifying talented forward, and I think he could be an interesting second round pick down the line. And out of the guys that I've managed to pick up on so far, he just seems like a bit of a how do you say he stands out amongst the pack. Oh, and like Marco Casper is a first round talent. Like I, I have him at mm-hmm. 20 on my board. Um, I think his average ranking is somewhere between 15 and 22. Like he, he's going to be a first round pick unless he really falls in the draft. And I mean, he looked really good in those two World Junior games. Did he play two? I'm not sure if he played one or two. Austria. No, he played. He played two, um, I believe. And he looked good in both. And I, I liked him. Like him and Vinny Rohrer, like they, they were fun on that top line, uh, including the blowout game against Canada. But yeah, I, I like him a lot. He's, he's pretty big. He, he's one of those like pretty low, uh, like floor players. Like, I think he's going to be a third line center in the NHL upside is i'm not sure about for for like a second line center role but he he's a he's a really solid prospect for sure and okay i think i think we've we've covered our bases at least for today for the prospects yeah, we definitely delved into our prospect talk we've got that, we have, that we have but let's 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 shift our, our focus back to the montreal canadians but maybe on the uh, the off-ice stuff and today there was a massive annou- announcement so Chantal Maccabi. She has been hired as the new VP of 
media relations and communications is i believe the official yes, title of communications yes and uh i think basically like like universally that hire has been applauded by everyone in the hockey world if it's people in the media if it's fans if it's the if it's your average twitter user that goes on 25 rants per day every single person has been supportive of that move because there is no more respected more respected journalist that has covered the Montreal Canadiens that basically than Chantal Maccabé, who's been around the team for over 25 years. Uh, she has been tremendous. And as Patrick Lorty pointed out to us earlier today, uh, it she was given the offer for that role just a couple days after Marc Bergervin, Trevor Timmons, and Paul Wilson, the former uh, director of communications, were fired by the team. So she has had this offer or or this negotiation has been going on ever since then. But this, I think, is a great hire by Jeff Molson and Jeff Gordon. And uh, what are your thoughts on the hire? Well, definitely. I think it's a very interesting move they made. And Jeff, uh, Maccabee has the experience and, most importantly, sort of the repertoire to bring this job where it'll make Montreal just a more interesting team in the front office and it'll give them some energy and some life that they need to maybe sort of help fund some better decisions down the line. So it remains to be seen how things will progress, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And also the fact that Montreal has actually been interviewing and looking at Mark Denis, especially offering him the GM position, I think that'd be another really interesting move. Denis doesn't have the most experienced out of all of the candidates that are available for the job, but he's perfectly bilingual. He's, he's just a great personality, great personality in RDS. And I think he could be an interesting guy to work with Jeff Gordon down the line. Move over, children. I'll take over. Oh, okay. Uh, Patrick, go ahead. <laughs> hey, guys. Sorry for being so late to the show. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, happy New Year, everyone. Uh, from um, my perspective, yes, I am very excited about the Chantal Maccabee. Uh, hiring. First of all, this is a woman who has over 30 years experience in uh, media. Uh, the bulk of it being with RDS, of course. Everyone knows who she is, at least on the Quebec side and everything. This is an extremely, extremely respected lady um, by everyone. Not only uh, in terms of uh, the media, but in terms of also like um, other teams, uh, executives, coaches, players, etc. And what she brings that's going to be different from what Paul Wilson uh, um, uh, brought as VP of communications is that relationship between team and media that will, you know, ultimately drip down to us fans because um, I'm sure our friend Scott has a lot of stories from his dad, um, you know, as to the relationship between the media and the team. And, you know, we know, we know other <laughs> journalists, so to speak, who have struggled to uh, keep a, a proper relationship. And that's exactly what she's going to be doing. She's going to be that link between, you know, the not, I, I, I guess we're moving on to a new era where, you know, information might be less controlled, so to speak. I mean, the Canadians have talked a, a lot about transparency in the last couple of seasons and saying, yeah, we're going to be more transparent in terms of injuries, for example, because everybody had an upper body injury for some reason. Um, I always remember Shea Weber getting a puck off the foot and everything and said, yeah, he has an upper body undisclosed injury. I'm like, really? We saw the slap shot on the, on the foot buddy, but whatever. Um, you know, so uh, there's going to be a lot of that going on. And also, the I think the... Um, 
call it revolutionary, call it what you want, but her immediate boss is actually going to be France Marguerite Belanger. Uh, so that's going to be pretty massive uh, as well. And uh, in terms of... Uh, um, if uh, Sebastian, if you don't mind, do you want me to continue on uh, the Mac Denis thing as well? The Mac Denis rant? Okay, so um, yeah, um, Mac Denis, and I, I did a little a quick um, confirmation, by the way. You were right, Sebastian, because we were chatting earlier about his uh, earlier career. He was vice president of operate, of hockey operations for the uh, Saguenay de Chicoutimi in the queue. Um, so he does have that managerial experience. He still has a lot of connections with governors, owners, executives. And of course, you know, he's loved by all the players and everything. I mean, the people's choice is still Patrick Roy. I don't know if that's actually going to happen. I'm pretty. Uh, no, 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 I know, no, no, but that's no, the popular no. opinion. I think I think Metro Darche is almost a, a lock to become uh, the uh, the next general manager because of his experience with Tampa Bay. Um, Roberto Luongo might have also, you know a few feet uh, of, uh, of a lead ahead from the other candidates, which would be probably Daniel Berriar might be the other uh, solid candidate. But I mean, Luongo, well, he did put together team Canada recently and we, we saw what, what happened with that. And um, in his case, I think it's just going to be a matter of whether or not he wants to move because ever guys remember when he got traded from Vancouver back to Florida, it was by his request. He wanted to go back to his wife, his, his you know, his newborn at the time as well. So is he going to want to move from tax free Florida all the way up to, what is it? Minus 30. It's going to be tomorrow. I think in Quebec. So I mean, he accepted the interview. So that's, it's a step at least. <laughs> it's a step. Exactly. I mean, anybody would be dumb to turn on an interview to become general manager of a top, you know, of an original six franchise. But um, yeah, that's my two cents. Yeah, and, and just going back to uh, Chantal Maccabee real quick, what something that I, I find really, I guess, big with that hiring too is is showing just the entire hockey world of an instance where uh, a team like picked the most qualified and best possible candidate for an executive hockey position, and it was a woman, yep. right? Like, yep. like this is the thing, right? Like, like so many like hockey fans are talking about like oh we don't want to hire women because like we don't want to like de- like, like like hire people that are less good than others like like no that's not that's not what we're saying we're saying that the most qualified candidate would be a woman and that we want the best candidate therefore get more women into hockey because it'll be better for everyone in the end better i think can say absolutely nothing about best choice for the job when cameron hellas and brandon baddick are finding their way into the canadians lineup exactly. then you can talk to me about best yeah. player for the and, job and, and when ken holland has a gm position and peter charlie's name gets popped up every single time there's a non-montreal gm vacancy like come on guys like, like, like there are better options out there and a whole lot of them are women and i'm sorry but i mean like the the fact that we have Kim Eng as general manager of the Miami Marlins in Major League Baseball, you know, who has been working in baseball for decades under the New York Yankees, and she is slowly building what what will potentially be an incredible team because the amount of prospects that's in Miami right now is just out of this world. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a man, a woman, a robot, or a dog. I mean, if you can do the job, just go for the best person, period. Exactly. And it looks very likely that the Montreal Canadiens are going to hire women at, at least for the assistant general manager, manager position. And that is very exciting to me as a hockey fan, because there are no women in like GM or uh, like assistant GM position in the entire NHL. Like this has been a pretty backwards league for a long time. And 
for Montreal to be the team that takes that step and hires a woman because she's the best candidate for that position, it, it would just show a lot of progress that the, the team will have undergone in a single year, right? Going from drafting Logan Mayu and showing all this ignorance, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. To, to hire, to, to, to like possibly trailblazing for women in hockey executive positions, right? That That is at least exciting to me as a fan of this team because the last draft, that was just so demoralizing for us fans. So I, th- I think I think we still have a chance. So that I know the age barrier has been broken a long time ago when we got guys like Cal Dubas or John Chaika that was hired as very young general managers. So yeah. Sebastian, you still have a chance to be hired to uh, to be head scout for the Canadians. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, me and my my seventy five Twitter followers. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think that that wraps up this episode pretty nicely, having circled back to the Montreal Canadiens and covered some prospects along the way. Exactly. We we have fulfilled the motto of this show in this episode. And yeah, I think on that note...